Chapter 2. Little Meg as a Mourner For the next day and the night following, the corpse of the mother lay silent and motionless in the room where the three children were living. Meg cried bitterly at first, but there was Robin to be comforted, and the baby to be played with when it laughed and crowed in her face. Robin was nearly six years old, and he had gained a vague, dim knowledge of death by having followed, with a troop of other curious children, many a funeral which had gone out into the dense and dirty dwellings from the distant cemetery ahead, where he crept forward to the edge of the grave and peeped down into what seemed to him like a very dark and dreadful depth. When little Meg told him his mother was dead, and lifted him up to kneel on the bedside and kiss her icy lips for the last time, his childish heart was filled with an awe which almost made him shrink from the sight of that familiar face, scarcely whiter or more sunken than it had been for many a day past. But the baby stroked the quiet cheeks while chuckling and kicking in Meg's arms and shouted, Mama, 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 until she caught it away and pressed it tightly to her bosom and sat down on the floor by the bed, weeping. "'You've got no mamma but me now, baby,' cried little Meg. She sat still for a while, with Robin lying on the ground beside her, his face hidden in her ragged frock, but the baby set up a pitiful little wail, and she put aside her own grief to soothe it. "'Shh! Shh!' sang Meg, getting up and walking with the baby about the room. "'Hush! Hush, my dear baby! Bye-bye, my baby! Bye-bye!' Meg's sorrowful voice sank into a low, soft, sleepy tone, and presently the baby fell fast asleep when she laid it upon Robin's little mattress and covered it up gently with an old shawl. Robin was standing at the foot of the bed, gazing at his mother with wide-open, tearless eyes, and little Meg softly drew the sheet again over the pale and rigid face. "'Robbie,' she said, Let's sit at the window a bit. They had to climb up the narrow window sill by a broken chair which stood under it. But when they were there, and Meg had her arm around Robin to hold him safe, they could see down into Angel Court and into the street beyond, with its swarms of busy and squalid people. Upon the stone pavement far below them, a number of children of every age and size, but there was they were all ill-clothed and ill-fed and they were crawling about in and out of the houses, and their cries and shrieks came up to them in their lofty seat, but of late their mother had not let them run out to play in the streets, and they were mostly strangers to them, except by sight. Now and then Meg and Robin cast a glance inward at the quiet and still form of their mother, lying as if silently watching them with her half-closed eyes, and when they spoke to one another, they spoke in whispers. "'Mother is going to live with the angels,' said Meg. "'What are angels?' asked Robin, his glittering eyes black, glancing at the bed where she lay in her dead sleep. "'Oh, I, I'm not quite sure,' answered Meg. "'Only they're beautiful people. They're always white and clean and shining, like that big white cloud up in the sky. They live somewhere up in the sky.' where it's always sunny and bright and blue 
How will Mother get up there? inquired Robin. Well, I suppose, replied Meg, after some reflection, after they've put her in the ground, the angels will come and take her away. I read once of a poor beggar, such a poor beggar, full of sores, and he died, and the angels carried him away somewhere. I thought, maybe, they'd come for Mother in this night, but I suppose they let people be buried first now, and then fetch them away after. I should like to see some angels, said Robin. They were silent again after that, looking down upon the quarrelling children and the drunken men and the women staggering about in the yard below. Now and then a sharper scream rang through the court as some angry mother darted out to cuff one another of the brawling groups, or to yell some shrill reproach to the drunken men. No sound came to the ears of the listening children, except the din and the jarring tumult of the crowded city. But they could see the white clouds floating slowly across the sky over their heads, which seemed to little Meg like the wings of waiting angels hovering over the place where their mother lay dead. Meg, said Robin, why do they call this Angel Court? Did the angels used to live here? Well, I don't think they ever could, she answered sadly, or it must have been a long, long time ago. Perhaps they can't come here now, so they're waiting for Mother to be taken out to the burial ground before they can carry her up into the sky. Uh, maybe that's it. Meg, whispered Robin, pressing closer to her side. What's the devil? Oh, oh I don't know, cried Meg, only he's dreadfully, dreadfully wicked. As wicked as father is when he's drunk, asked Robin. Oh, oh, a hundred million times wickeder, answered Meg eagerly. Father doesn't get drunk often, and you mustn't be naughty, boy, and talk about it like that. It was already a point of honour with little Meg to throw a cloak over her father's faults, and she spoke so earnestly that Robin was strongly impressed by it. He asked no more questions for some time. Meg, he said at last, does the devil ever come here? Oh, I don't think he does, answered Meg, with a shrewd shake of her small head. No, no, I've, I've never, never seen him, never. Folk are bad enough without him, I guess. No, no, you needn't be frightened of seeing him, Robin. I wish there wasn't any devil, said Robin. Well, I wish that everyone in London was good, said Meg. They sat a little while longer at the window-sill, watching the sparrows, all fluffy and black, fluffing and chattering upon the housetops and the night fog rising from the unseen river, and hiding the tall masts which towered above the buildings. It was dark already in the court below, and here and there a candle had been lit and placed in a window, casting a faint twinkle of light upon the gloom. The baby stirred and cried a little and Meg lifted Robin down from his dangerous seat and put two or three small bits of coal upon the fire to boil up the kettle for tea. She'd done it often before, at the bidding of her mother, but, well, it seemed different now. Mother's voice was silent, and Meg had to think of everything herself. 
Soon after tea was over, she undressed Robin and the baby, who soon fell asleep again. And when all her work was over and the fire was put out, little Meg crept in beside them on the scanty mattress, and her face turned towards the bed that she might see the angels if they came to carry her mother away. But before long her eyelids drooped over her drowsy eyes, and her arms stretched lightly across both her children, and she slept soundly until daybreak. No angels came in the night, but early in the morning a neighbour, undertake, undertaker, with two other men and Mr. Grigg, the landlord who lived on the ground floor. They carried away the light burden of the coffin which contained Meg's mother. She waited until they were all gone, and then she locked the door carefully, with baby in her arms, and Robin holding by her frocks. She followed the funeral at a distance, and with difficulty, through the busy streets. The brief burial service was ended before they reached the cemetery, but Meg was in time to show Robin the plate upon the coffin before the grave-digger shoveled down great spadefuls of earth upon it, and they stood watching with sad but childish curiosity till it was all finished. And then Meg, with a heavy and troubled heart, took them home again to their lonely attic in Angel Court. Mm-hmm.